0: So those are some things happening. Uh, maybe you notice the flags around the room. Uh, each year we take a couple weeks and we celebrate what God's doing around the world through global outreach. And it's, uh, it's real exciting for me to have the opportunity to share vision. I had the opportunity to speak last week at World Golf Village and Smiley was here. So I wanted to give a brief recap uh, on last week just to catch us all up on, on where we're at and where we're going. So the point from last week, maybe you remember, Jesus invites us to make disciples around the world. Think about that. Jesus invites us. How cool is that? He invites us to be a part of his family, a part of his mission. And what is this mission? It's to make disciples around the world. We've been talking a lot about making disciples this year. And one thing that's really cool in the Great Commission, it says this idea of, as we make disciples through baptizing and teaching, this idea that making disciples is directly linked to the local church, because that's where we baptize, right? That's where we teach the Word of God. So all of us have an individual responsibility, but as the body of Christ, altogether, this disciple-making adventure that we're on. And this idea of around the world, 195 nations in the world, the gospel is for everybody, for the nations. And so sometimes I can get tunnel vision in my little context here in St. Augustine. So it's really helpful to have weekends like this to broaden my perspective and realize, wow, it's a big world out there and there's so many different cultures that need the gospel, and the gospel's for everybody. So that was the main point for last week. As far as our focus, there's lots of ways we could kind of do that, but really the local church is really our heartbeat, is to plant churches. And so how do we do this? We do this through movement leaders, and the movement leaders are really the key. And so I have a picture of our movement leaders here, and it's kind of cool as I was looking through this list Uh, So my wife and I and Noah and Aaron Bailey had the chance to be in Athens, Greece, and Malta recently to spend time with Yodas and Edwin and meet with pastors there and see the churches that we've partnered with. And that was a phenomenal trip to see what God's doing there. Um, And then Smiley, David Christopher, and I last year were able to go to Brazil and hang out with Ricardo uh, and Leonardo. And then Dave Ackerman and Mitch Hines were in India recently spending time with Ken Tombing. Jorge is on stage at our World Golf Village campus right now. So he's, gonna, he's speaking over there, and then our brother Leonardo is with us today. So a real big priority over the past year has been to go and invest time with our movement leaders or have them come here, because they're really the key to this working. Because we don't believe, our philosophy is not to just send a bunch of Americans all over the world, but to invest in national leaders who are already there, who are training the people, who are holding them accountable. And so that's our philosophy, is to work through these movement leaders. Uh, And it's amazing the partnerships we have. It's crazy the amount of, like, the call that God has on these guys' lives and the types of things they're doing uh, are amazing. And it's really humbling that God has allowed us to be partners uh, with these men of God. So we work through movement leaders to plant gospel-preaching churches. The gospel's a really big deal. Without the gospel, we have nothing. And so gospel-preaching churches— Uh, are the types of churches that we plant. That's our expectation of those that we partner with, is that they will proclaim the gospel weekly. Also, national led, we talk about that. So we have, you know, Italians planting churches in Italy, Brazilians planting churches in Brazil. So national led, that's important. Self-supporting, we want these churches to be wildly successful, and we don't want to hinder them, and we don't want to be endless check writers. We want them to build up their own people so that they'll be financially self-supporting. So we don't Uh, fund them forever. We have a time frame on that. That's important to us also. Uh, And then multiplying. We partner with movements that are happening as God is using leaders and inspiring people and planting churches. And it's really neat the movements that are happening in different parts of the world uh, as this disciple-making idea of disciples making disciples, church planters. uh, Planting their church is not the end game, but the day they start, they're thinking, how can we do this again? Which is really cool. So, that's our philosophy. That's our focus. So, that's what we've been doing since 2005. Uh, And it's amazing how God has decided to bear fruit through this ministry. Uh, I wish I could take credit for it, but I can't because it's not about me. Um, And so, when we celebrate the wins to see since 2005, when we really uh, honed in on this idea of church planting, we've helped start 80 international churches uh, in 20 different countries and 16 throughout the state of Florida through the Florida Church Planting Network. We've invested over $2.7 million uh, for this. And so when you look at that, like those numbers are astounding to me that God has allowed Little Good News Church here in St. Augustine to have an impact around the world. So I want to thank you for your investment and praise God ultimately. Uh, It's it's really amazing. Uh, Amazing. So uh, Global Outreach Team met last year to make decisions on where we felt called to invest uh, for 2019. So I wanted to show you this year Uh, These are the locations throughout the world that we are uh, partnering with and financially supporting, Uh, four in Brazil, one in Mexico, one in South Florida, uh, one in Italy uh, through Leonardo, Uh, Belarus, a new partnership, Uh, Athens, Greece, and India. And so the next slide has the list uh, of the cities and countries and such, Um, and through some people giving additional funds. We're above and beyond the 13% that goes to Global Outreach. We're able to start an additional three churches. So uh, this is the most we've ever started in one year. So it's exciting to see uh, everyone catching the vision, praying, and God showing up, and we're bearing much fruit around the world. So it's amazing. It's amazing. So one thing we talked about last year as far as the main action step, this idea of praying, giving, and going. Uh, as we think about what is our responsibility in fulfilling the Great Commission, uh, we, can, we can pray. We can pray for the gospel as it advances. We can pray for our movement leaders. We can pray for uh, God's provision, God's protection. Uh, there's many things we can pray. Um, and also this idea of, of giving. Uh, like I said, as we tithe, 13% goes uh, to plant churches, which is awesome. Uh, so continue we can continue to give and then also this idea of going some of you have the time and resources to go visit places I'd love to help connect you with our movement leaders to see how you can support and partner with them so there's a role that all of us can play or we can do all three Um, so uh, what what is God calling you to do in fulfilling the great commission through our local church here that's something I want you to think about so unique opportunity today. I have these booklets. I'd like you to grab these booklets, these uh, cool little global outreach things. So we've been doing this conference for the weekend. Uh, I know we told you about it quite a bit. And the schedule is in the very first uh, as you open up. So we've had an amazing time uh, with our church planters from around the world. So Jorge Alaman from Monterey, Mexico. They have a vision to plant churches in northern Mexico uh he's been with us also andres garza with city to city he is over latin america so i got to sit in on a breakout session with him and it's amazing what god's doing in latin america and the vision they have to plant churches and spread the gospel there Uh, also dima lazuda a new partnership with belarus Uh, amazing guy who god has gifted and called to to train and has a vision to plant 100 churches and they're at 25 now and they're plugging away there Uh, So inside your booklets are some bios on each of these guys. So you can read that. I don't need to read that for you. Uh, But we've had an amazing time and Leonardo has been our keynote speaker. So you may look at some of those topics and you may cringe a little bit. It might make you squirm. You might think, wait a second, communicating the gospel with Roman Catholics. Do we do we need to do that? Why? What, what are the similarities or differences between what we hold to be true and what they hold to be true? So Leonardo has really given a great perspective. And I'm happy to tell you that we've recorded the main sessions. And those are available on the Good News website. So I highly encourage you. I've learned so much uh, through Leonardo and his lectures this weekend. So please check those out. Those are, he's been gracious enough to allow us to make those available. Uh, so those are on our website. So, so please check those out. So Leonardo, I'd like to invite you to come up. So today is going to be a little different. I'm basically going to be asking him questions so you can get to know him. But Leonardo is a brother. We have been partners, gosh, we, through his church plant in 2009. So it's been amazing to see what God's done in and through him uh, in Rome, Italy. So let's give a good news welcome to Leonardo. Thank you. So Leonardo, here we are. We've had a great weekend together. Yes. Thank you for coming.
1: So far, so good. So thank you, so and thank you to all of you.
0: <laughs> so you told me you come to the States once a year?
1: Yeah, basically once a year.
0: And you travel throughout Europe once a... Once a month. Once a month. Yeah. So he travels and speaks quite a bit. Uh, and so what, what is your role currently in
1: Rome? I, I have little hair, but I have many hats. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a pastor of a local church in central Rome. I'm also a movement leader of a church planting network in Rome and uh, becoming a national network in Italy. I'm also a lecturer in a theological institute, uh, training young men and women to become better servants of the gospel in our own country. And I'm also involved in international Theological research and teaching on issues related to an evangelical analysis of Catholicism. So depending on... uh, But I'm the same person.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Tell us about your wife and kids.
1: Uh, We have been married with Valeria for 27 years. And uh, she is a fantastic woman. She's not here, but... um, She sends her greetings to all of you. And uh, we have two grown-up young men, (coughs) 22 years old and 21. One white son and one black son, but the same parents. Now, there is no uh, genetic uh, fuzz about it. We adopted our second son from Ethiopia, and so he's been with us for 15 years. So we're seeing them grow as young men.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Help us understand the context of Rome with where you're working. I know you said 60%, the Catholic Church, owns 60% of the real estate and businesses in Rome. Uh, So help us understand the context. Well,
1: Rome is a unique city in many respects. First of all, it is the capital city of two states. There is no one other city that (laughs) is like that. There is the Italian state and the Vatican. The Vatican is also a state, sovereign state, very powerful in Rome, Uh, not only owning uh, more than half of the properties but running basically the city and influencing very strongly the culture, the ways in which people think and behave and work and so on. So uh, this has been the context in which I'm serving and uh, Uh, For many centuries, the city of Rome has been not friendly towards uh, non-Catholic Christians, uh, actually prohibiting the public witness of the gospel if you are not connected with or under the uh, rule of the Church of Rome. So, religious freedom is only a recent discovery for Rome, and we are taking advantage of all the legal rights we have to promote uh, the gospel, to preach it, to evangelize, to witness, to serve the community in order for God to move mightily in the city.
0: Mm. And didn't you say the facility that you're in in central Rome is like the first building in how long? In
1: in, uh, almost uh, a century because it was practically impossible for a non-Catholic entity to own a property in Central Rome uh, because of the presence of the Pope, because of the fact that the Roman Church didn't like to have a bunch of heretical groups uh, within the walls. So now that we have the rights, it has been a great privilege to uh, purchase this building not for the sake of having a building but for the sake of resourcing the work of the gospel with permanent uh, resources and spaces that would help the the advancement of the gospel and it's half a mile from the Colosseum, so we're right there where uh, the early christians uh, were and uh, we are there to be a light in the city and uh, a hope for the city
0: yeah it's amazing so as you think of, as we think about the first session that you did, communicating the gospel with Roman Catholics, what, why is there a need to do that? What are similarities, differences? How would you summarize that?
1: Well, in, in my country, uh, almost 95% of the population would claim to be Catholic, but for the vast majority of them, uh, that claim doesn't translate into a personal faith. Uh, they're sense of being religious is more attached to than being part of a story, of a family, of a tradition. Uh, they may use the same words gospel, faith, cross, salvation, sin, Jesus but uh, the more I, 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 I grow and the more I see that um, we can use the same sounds but it doesn't mean that we're saying the same things. Uh, in terms of the Catholic understanding of sin, grace, salvation, cross. We're using the same words, but we're meaning very different things. And so there is a need to go back to the scriptures because it is out of the word of God that we understand the meaning of the words. It is not us who are imposing our meaning onto the words of the Bible, but it is the Bible itself that needs to be allowed to speak for itself and by the Holy Spirit then this meaning will then become impressed on our hearts and minds. So our task is to uh, help our friends to have access to the Bible and help them to read the Bible for themselves and helping them to give tools in order to understand what the Bible um, says. Mm So when you say the gospel, what what do you mean by the gospel? Well, the gospel is the good news. That's what the the word basically means. The good news of our Creator, sending the Creator Father, sending His Son, Jesus Christ, in order to save us uh, sinners who don't deserve any of His grace, any of His favor, but out of His sheer grace, Uh, God the Father has sent His Son in order to be the substitute, the one who has taken our sins and paid for the justice of God in order for those who believe in Him uh, to be counted as righteous in His sight and to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit and to become new persons, new people in order to serve the cause of the, go- of the gospel for the glory of God alone. So it's about grasping what it means to uh, ground our lives on the basis of scripture alone, focusing on the work and person of Christ alone, receiving the grace of God by faith alone, and responding to it by living our lives for the glory of God alone.
0: So how does what you just communicated and articulated what the gospel is, how does that differ from what core Roman Catholic doctrine teaches?
1: First of all, there is a different view of our problem. Uh, If we are not convinced that our problem has to do with our own sin, everything else will be uh, different. And so in standard Catholic teaching, uh, the view about sin is that Yes, seen as a reality, but not as as tragic as it appears. We're still good people, capable of doing good things in order to contribute, to collaborate, to work with the grace of God in order to achieve our own salvation. And when you start from a different basis, you end up into a different destination. And so Christ is important, but in terms of the Catholic understanding, together with Christ, we also need the help of Mary, the help of the saints, the help of the sacraments of the church. And therefore, uh, point one is different, point two is different, and even the end result is different. Because as far as the Bible is concerned, we are taught that if we trust the promises of God as they have been accomplished in the person and work of Christ, we have the assurance of salvation. Not because of who we are, but because what God has done in Christ for us. But in terms of the Catholic understanding, you'll never be sure of what is going on after. Because if it depends on me, how can I be sure that I will be faithful to the end? So it is a matter of, again, saying the same words, but actually meaning very different things. Mm-hmm. And so we need to help our friends to understand the gospel as the Bible uh, presents it to us.
0: So let's talk about authority. You know, In the second lecture, you talked about the Reformation. Is the Reformation over? Are we still addressing the same issues? And so help us understand authority in the Catholic way of thinking and how it might differ from ours.
1: Yeah, in the Catholic way of thinking, authority is delegated. God's authority is delegated to His representative, that happens to be the vicar of Christ, the one who represents Christ. And uh, he is the Pope. And uh, together with the Pope, the cardinals, the bishops, the priests. So instead of being found in the Word of God, uh, inspired by God and empowered by the Holy Spirit, authority lies in the structures of the church. So the people normally do not really have an interest in what the Bible teaches. Rather, they trust the institution. And that makes a whole world of difference.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned, because of the authority issue, the three times when popes have made declarations that are considered canon of Scripture, basically. Yeah, dogmas. Tell us about those three. Yeah,
1: in recent times, in recent centuries, the Catholic Church has used this... highest authority in uh, determining new teaching, new dogmas, new binding beliefs. The 1854 dogma of Mary's Immaculate Conception. That is, nowhere in the Bible you will find such a teaching. And yet, because of this view of authority, ultimate authority, it is now binding for all Catholics uh, to believe the 1870 dogma of papal infallibility, the view whereby when the Pope speaks ex cathedra out of the chair of Peter, what he says is infallible. Nowhere in scripture we are told that our human words can be infallible. And yet, because of this view of authority, that that is what happens in in the Catholic Church. And the last dogma to be promulgated, that was promulgated, is the 1950 dogma of the um, assumption bodily assumption of mary the view whereby mary as soon as she died was assumed body and soul to the heavenly glory nowhere in scripture we are told what happened to mary when she died and yet because of this view of authority the church of rome can claim that this is a binding belief this is something that you must believe in order to be a faithful Christian. But it's, mm-hmm. it is not based on Scripture. It is based on the self-referential authority of the institution.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and to that, also the apocryphal books. to so talk about the 16th century when the Church decided to yeah. have authority there. Yeah,
1: in responding to the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century, the Catholic Church convened the Council of Trent. And one of the decisions of the Council of Trent was to add mm-hmm. Uh, six more books to the Old Testament canon. And uh, so that we Protestants, we have the Jewish canon. We received from the Jewish people the canon of the Old Testament, but the Council of Trent added more books in order to affirm the authority of the Church of Rome to expand the canon of Scripture out of their view of the authority, ultimate authority.
0: So as we think about the Reformation, authority was one of the key issues. And the second was salvation by faith alone. I like the bike illustration that you used. Could you share Uh, that?
1: (laughs) Yeah. uh, The Reformation was basically a recovery of the ultimate authority of the Word of God and the message of salvation being received by grace alone through faith alone. Uh, In the Catholic understanding, salvation needs God's grace but it's also the combination of what God does and what we do as we implement it. And the illustration I used was um, to re- when I remember the way in which my father taught how to use my bicycle. And uh, the way he, he did it was by giving me a small bicycle with two small uh, chairs or wheels, wheels, two, two small <laughs> wheels, And he told me, you you begin bicycling with these two wheels. When you will become more uh, competent, I will take the wheels out. And then you will have to handle the biking without wheels. And so that moment came and he took the wheels out. And he told me, now look, I will be push you for a few yards. And I will give you a final push and then you have to bike on your own because if you don't do this you will fall okay okay let's try three two one <laughs> wow go and I then tried to uh, bike myself and uh, one or two times I, I fell and then I learned how to do it but you see the point is that The Catholic teaching of salvation is that God is that Father who pushes you, giving you the initial push. In baptism, with the sacraments, God gives you the initial push. But that initial push, unless you bike yourself, will not take you to the final destination. And so, it's a very different view Mm -hmm. with regards to the biblical view of salvation, whereby our God is the one who gives us, yes, the initial push, but he is also the one who comes with us, walks with us through the journey of life and is the one who guarantees the fact that we will ultimately end up to our destination, that is eternal glory. It is by grace from beginning to end. Of course, as we are saved by grace alone, In response, we are called to do good works. We're called to be holy. We're called to commit ourselves to the cause of the gospel. But it is not an ingredient of our salvation. It is rather a response to it. Mm -hmm. A grateful response to the gift of God that is sufficient from beginning to end to guarantee our salvation. That is very different from the way in which the Catholic Church teaches Mm -hmm. about salvation.
0: So your third lecture on Mariology was very insightful because I always wondered how do you get from the biblical account of this humble woman to, to worship? And so one thing you said was the understanding is what can be said of the son can be said of the mother. Yeah. So help us understand the connection and how Mary is worshipped within the Catholic Church. Yeah,
1: it is always a puzzlement to see how uh, a, the figure of Mary, who is an outstanding figure in the New Testament, having been chosen by God to be the mother of Jesus, has become a quasi-goddess in the Roman Catholic understanding. And uh, it has taken a complex uh, historical process, but the main thing uh, that we can say about Mariology and the way in which the Mary of the Bible has become the Mary of the Church. These are two very different characters. The Mary of the Bible is a very sober portrayal, and the Mary of the church is this uh, inflated character that is given uh, people pray to, people venerate, hyper-venerate, and devote themselves to her. And the, point, the main point is that uh, in the Catholic understanding, whatever can be said of the son can also be said of the mother. So if the son is king, and uh, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is the king of kings, the mother, in virtue of her being the mother of the son, is queen. But nowhere in the Bible we are told that Mary is queen. As Jesus is our uh, mediator, the one who mediates between the father and humanity, Mary, being the mother of the son, becomes the mediatrix, co-mediatrix, the one who shares in the mediation of the son. Yes. Uh, Jesus was sinless. And the Mary, as being the mother of the, of the son, is, has been immaculately conceived. But nowhere in the Bible we're told that. Jesus was resurrected after dying. And Mary, because she's the mother of the Son, was assumed into the heavenly glory. So whatever the Son is and does, the mother is and does. Once you have this mechanism in place, you can explain why from the the New Testament presentation of Mary, we ended up in having this gross... uh, um, inflated uh, character of Mary.
0: Mm-hmm. So, what's your approach as you speak with people in the heart of Rome? How do you evangelize? How do you disciple? How do you share the gospel?
1: Yeah, first of all, we we tried always to um, include or uh, have our friends approaching or being exposed to the Bible. The Bible has been, in majority Catholic cultures, has been the very neglected book. Actually it was prohibited for lay people to read the Bible for centuries because it was considered as being a difficult book, considered to be a book that only the clergy could deal with. So for centuries this book has been closed only displayed with pictures in churches and always taught by, through the clergy. But never, people were never encouraged to read the scriptures. And unless you read the scriptures, how can you have a grasp of the gospel? So the first task is to open the Bible and to whet the appetite for the word of God by way of reading with people, by way of reading a passage, reading a parable, reading a p- chapter of the gospel and uh, beginning to talk about it. What do you understand? Uh, well, yeah, what, what is the Word of God saying to you? And then we have to relate it to our lives because it is not only an exercise of, you know, reading outside of the real dimensions of life, but it's about showing how this message impacts our lives, our daily lives, our personal lives, our family lives, how this message impacts the way we handle our question marks, our anxieties, our uh, uh, the issues of life that we all go through. And in showing this we try to bear witness to the uh, the gospel. And then we try to also uh, live together with our friends, doing things together, showing practically what it means to be a believer. Because one thing is to listen to a message, one thing is is to uh, listen to stories, but a different different thing is to see it applied in personal lives. And so we, we invite people to have dinner together. Many things in our culture happen around the table, around the dining table. So uh, we invite them to have lunch with us, dinner with us. We invite them to do things together, Uh, going out to picnics, going out to do things together. And in this way, it, it becomes organic. It becomes live. It becomes real. We are not presenting ourselves as heroes or as people who have all the answers in our pockets. No, we are presenting us as friends who have been saved by grace alone and were willing to witness, to bear witness to the uh, power of the gospel for them too.
0: So we were talking about Vatican II where it seemed like the Catholic Church had a much harder stance on who was in the family. They said, if you believe salvation is by faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, let him be anathema, cursed you told me how they've backed away from that. So what is their perspective today on who's in the family?
1: Yeah, Vatican II uh, happened uh, 55 years ago. Uh, From 1962 to 1965 was the main event in the 20th century as far as the Church of Rome was concerned. And one of the outcomes of the council was that this traditional view uh, according to which those who were outside of the Catholic Church were either pagans or excommunicated, cursed, Uh, gradually changed into a more inclusive way of seeing all the people, whether or not within the Catholic Church or outside of the Catholic Church, all revolving around the same center. The picture that comes to my mind is a series of concentric circles, All, a kind of a solar system, all revolving around the same sun, but at different distances. And uh, the, the, the center of the system being the Catholic Church, where the fullness of God's grace can be received through the sacraments. But those who are outside of this center are no longer considered as being excluded from God's grace, but they are thought of as receiving... A lesser dimension of measure of God's grace. So the Protestants are no longer considered heretics, but separated brethren. They are not appreciating the fullness of, sal- of the sacraments, and yet they appreciate a the measure of it. The Jews, the Muslims, as believers in one God, they are no longer considered pagans or Eden, they are considered considered brothers and sisters because they share the view that there is one God. They receive a lesser measure of grace, but still a real measure of grace. The Hindus, the Buddhists, they are in the outer circles. They still have a religious sense of life. They they may have a polytheistic theology, but according to Vatican II, they still revolve around the same center. They receive a lesser measure of grace. The agnostics those who don't believe in anything, but they are good people, they, are, they revolve around the outer circle. And basically, all, every, everyone, all, the whole of humanity, is part of this one of the circles revolving around the center. So it changes the game altogether.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And what was the quote on hell? That the the quote had? on
1: hell by an important uh, present-day theologian, the Swiss theologian Hans unzford Balthazar is that hell ultimately is a real place, but is empty. And that's the natural outcome of this view whereby everybody revolves around uh, God's grace. Uh, Ultimately, that leads to the view that hell is empty.
0: So tell us about the church planting that's happening in Rome through the guys you're connected with and what the vision is there.
1: Uh, Rome is a, is a large city with 4 million people and uh, with less than 100 churches. So the, 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 the need is, is big, especially in the city center, uh, inside of the imperial walls, inside of the ancient walls. There are very few... Churches there because of these historical problems that we we have had in in the history of the city and uh, our our calling and our vision is to plant uh, churches within the inner uh, city center of Rome uh, next to the main historical sites next to the main places that have made Rome known all over the world and to be gospel communities there to, to give a hope to this city, to preach the gospel and to embody it in service and uh, uh, words of uh, mercy. And uh, it is about planting churches organically, that is uh, allowing a gospel movement to flourish and to train uh, leaders, uh, young leaders, to take uh, responsibility in uh, leading these churches preaching uh, the gospel and advancing. Now, we have been uh, been blessed to uh, plant a church uh, nine years ago. Last year, we were able to plant our first daughter church in another neighborhood of the same area of the city. And the view is in the next 10 years to plant three, four more churches in the same um, area of central Rome in order to uh, expand the work of the gospel there and by doing so hoping to be an encouragement for other churches to move in and to help us to plant more churches in Rome and also in the uh, other regions of the country.
0: Hmm. What does uh, what the partnership with Good News Church meant to you through the years?
1: Well, I came here uh, seven, eight years ago and it it has been my privilege to come back. This is my third time. So uh, we have been privileged of um, uh, partnering with you since then and it has been a great uh, honor and joy to to work with you um, in advancing the cause of the gospel in Rome. We are so thankful for your prayers for your support, for your example of being a church that on the other side of the ocean, very, uh, you know, far from Rome, uh, but you're still, and you are concerned, you are uh, supportive of the, uh, the work of God in another region, continent, and country. And so it is my privilege to be able to say again thank you. First of all, thanking God, because it is out of his mercy and generosity, that all good good gifts come to us. But also thanking you for your participation and partnership in allowing us to be able to do what we do in Rome. And inviting you to come to visit us if you happen to uh, visit the so-called eternal city. Mm. It's an old city, not so much eternal, but... (laughs)
0: What would be your encouragement or challenge to the people here in St. Augustine regarding disciple-making, Great Commission, church planting?
1: There is never an end in uh, being passionate about uh, making disciples, being disciples first because you cannot make disciples unless you are a disciple. This, there is no shortcut. We We, we are not allowed to you know, pray for others to do disciples unless we are discipled and disciples. And so there is no end to that. So uh, my prayer for you and for us is that we are continue to be passionate about moving on, moving further in our Christian walk in order for the power of the gospel to impact even more our lives so that others may be also impacted. And this Ongoing work of the Holy Spirit will flourish and abandon uh, throughout our lives. And church planting is a natural outcome of discipleship. Unless we have churches where people are taught uh, the message of the gospel, they learn the basics of the Christian life, they are um, enabled to become mature Christians, there is not going to be disciple-making. So the two... uh, are really twins you know churches are contexts in which in which disciple making happens and disciple making is the uh, mechanism that allows churches not to become stifled and uh, not allowing them to die so move on in this direction and uh, the lord's blessings be with you
0: last question how can we pray for you
1: I have uh, just turned uh, 50, 51 and uh, I sense that uh, you know, the, the next decade is going to be a very crucial decade in my life. I feel I, I still have energy, the energies of a 30 years old man. Uh, my body is showing signs <laughs> of uh, uh, decay <laughs> but uh, I still feel the energy of a 30 years old man. Uh, But I have some wisdom as, you know, at 50 years old, and experience. So my prayer is that in the next 10 years, 10, 15 years, the Lord will be so gracious to uh, use me as much as he wants me to do things in order to encourage younger leaders to embody for him an example of what it means to be a servant of the Lord, and to be used of God to plant more churches and to advance the cause of the gospel in my country.
0: Let's do that now. Let's pray for our brother. God, thank you for Leonardo, for him making time to be with us this weekend. And Lord, we do pray for uh, the next decade of his life. I pray that he would bear much fruit, that you'd use him as a leader in Rome and throughout Europe that you would sustain him, that you'd bless his marriage, thank you for his sons. I pray that they would serve you wholeheartedly. God, I pray that you would continue to uh, bless our partnership uh, through the years, through church planting, pray for that you'd raise up new workers in the harvest to plant more churches in that geographical area there in Rome. And Lord, we're uh, thankful for the gospel. Help us to understand it, to believe it, to share it. And Thank you for our brother, Leonardo. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Thank you.